Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the mayor of Ypsilanti, Michigan, Beth Bashirk. Being both the mayor of a small city and a leading salesperson at a local family-owned car dealership is hectic and exciting, but Beth manages to do both. She's working and talking with people about their needs each place. It turns out serving people doesn't change much, even in different environments. She was focused on serving people long before taking on either of these roles. In 1997, an act of discrimination occurred in Ypsilanti when a local print shop returned a print job it had already accepted from an Eastern Michigan University LGBT group. What followed were months of hearings with the newly formed Human Rights Commission she led. In 1999, a small group of politically-minded people from around the state started a conversation that resulted in the organization Michigan Equality. Beth was selected as the founding president of the organization, which was designed to identify, educate, and mobilize voters to help further equality for LGBT people in Michigan. In 2004, Beth was the first director of fund development for the Ruth Ellis Center, serving LGBTQ youth, including many who were homeless. She's a recipient of many awards, including the Equality Award from the Human Rights Campaign, Living Pride Award from Washtenaw Rainbow Action Project, Political Action Award from PFLAG, and the Gay and Lesbian Pride Award. In 2018, She ran for and won the mayoral race with 63% of the vote. She ran on a platform that advocated for changing the city's budget, bringing back services, and increasing development. She and her wife, Lisa, have been together since the 1990s. In 1993, they were the first lesbian couple to have an engagement announcement in the Ann Arbor News. At the ceremony later that year, they legally took the name Beshert, meaning destined or meant to be, a new family name for both. When the window opened five years ago for same-gender-loving couples in Michigan to be legally married, the Besherts joined the 300 couples who took advantage of that window. Mayor, activist, top sales consultant, parent, and grandparent? What's next? Who knows, but you can be sure Beth and Lisa will be working together to build a better community. Beth, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? 
I am well, and thank you so much for inviting me uh, to your show, Michelle. I am excited. Well, you know, I mean, we've known each other, it seems like forever, you know, and um, <laughs> what I like about you is that, you know, first of all, you have a level of, of commitment and passion, and, you know, it's like no doesn't seem to be in your vocabulary. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm afraid that that is a true statement about me. I... Uh, uh, try and say yes as much as possible. Uh, I say yes to a request to help. I say yes to uh, almost anything. You know, you never know what it's going to bring you. What the heck? Mm-hmm. You know, when we first met, it was like that. I remember when you were with Ruth Ellis Center, and you know, which is, which again, you were doing like fun development, which is something where you want to get people to say yes. Then you mm-hmm. were with Mission Equality, and then you were involved in. Um, the fight for married rights. But, you know, one of the things that I think that is so cool about it is, like, when you and your wife got married, first of all, mm-hmm. you took the name Bashert because it mm-hmm. means, like, destined and that you're meant to be, which is lovely. But then you. you went to change your name, and even though both of your name, you wanted to do it as a family, even each time they said no, you said I understand that. Let's let's do this, you know, until yeah. until it happened. You know, that I think that you know I always say that one of the things I think that's cool about gay marriage, I thought it was an opportunity for us to change the way it was done. You know, not just go ahead and do it. And that's what you did. You 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 claimed the name and you went and you made them do that. What was your thought process along that? Well, Lisa and I, uh, we're heading towards our fifth anniversary, and uh, we wanted to do something to declare to the community that this is a real thing and, uh, and, and get community support. This is what marriage brings, is community support for your family, your new family. And this is what, uh, you know, queer families were missing out on then, and many miss out on it now. And uh, so we decided to have a public ceremony. We called it a hand fasting. And Mm -hmm. uh, we were the first lesbian couple. That was when we had print newspaper. This was in 1993. And uh, we were the first lesbian couple to have our engagement photo in the newspaper. And that was a big thing, okay? When that came out, I did not know what to expect. And when the first person walked up to me and said, Beth, I just saw your picture in the paper, and there'd be this pause, and they would say, "Congratulations!" And I was like, "I wasn't prepared for congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I literally was not prepared." And so I thought for a minute, and I thought, then I said, "Thank you. We are very excited." And I said, "Thank you. We are very excited for the next six months." It was overwhelming, and that was my first glimpse of what uh, heterosexual married couples at that time had in the form of support. That is what support feels like, people being happy for you, right? So when we went to change, we wanted to change our name because that's part of what happens when uh, we wanted to change our name to the same name. That's what happens when, you know, straight couples get married often. And we found the different names between us confusing uh, and not very helpful. And we also thought that if we had the same name, it's kind of a way of tricking the enemy, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have the same name, people perceive you as family, right? Whether or not they understand why, they just know you are. And so uh, we chose the name Bashert through a, a research project uh, process. 
that we both engaged in. It was lovely. We found a poem by lesbian uh, Jewish poet called Irena Klepfit. She's wonderful. Check her out. And that's where we heard the name Beshert for the first time and just kept coming back. And now it's been our family name for over 25 years. <clears throat> you know, I think that, that that is so, I mean, really, and that is so special to me because, you know, we don't want our marriages and our relationships, first of all, there is about about expanding what people are talking about, but then the fact that, you know, to find something that, that really means something, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that that's, like, so, so great. Now, you know, do you find, like, you know, you were like a trailblazer. You, you accepted that. You took your name. You came out with your own um, vows, and you mm-hmm. went through all that, and you were doing things like that, saying um, – the adoption of your daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, back before <laughs> it was, it was all, you know, I mean, now oh, man. I kind of take a lot of this for granted, but vote knowing those lessons and the things that you went through, how important we is thought- it to, to fight for, you know, even though it, I mean, we can go get married now, how important it is to remember those things? That is really a big question, Michelle. You know, Lisa and I, I feel like, and uh, have spent a lot of our life finding little mini windows of opportunity to move forward in protecting our family through accessing some right or other, right, that other families have and we just didn't, right? We found a little tiny window of opportunity to adopt our daughter, and we did, Okay, and it was a terrible process. It was a painful process, but we did it to protect our daughter and my relationship with her, okay, and we found a little window of opportunity to get married legally, and we were one of the 322 couples in Michigan that got married, uh, was it almost five years ago now we're heading towards, Mm -hmm. and immediately, the day we got married, that night we went into legal limbo, and we did that knowing we would, right? Because, but we had to take the opportunity. It was what was going to happen. I was, I had been steadfastly refusing to leave Michigan to go to another state to get married because I don't want to become a refugee in my own state, right? From, from my home and to get, to get a right. And so, um, so the, the importance of, of, you know, he asked the question about what's the importance of those or uh, now, right, where we have some of these rights and we don't have others, right? Um, I, I think that that's a big question. And, and it was a combination of, you know, uh, just pure, just closing your eyes, gritting your teeth and jumping in with both feet that we did, right? And mm-hmm. there's, a measure, there's a measure of, you know, uh, finding, being partners that are both kind of willing to be chance takers. We're, we're both willing to take a chance and go through uncertainty. Um, I make a joke that, uh, you know, Lisa and I also bought one of the first Priuses in the state of Michigan. I, I tell people that makes us early adopters, which is one of the <laughs> nicest terms anybody's ever called me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, uh, uh, you know, so, that's just, we felt like we had to do whatever we could do to protect our family, either um, on the, you know, uh, overtly through legal means, by subvertly, by taking a name and just, you know, letting people make whatever assumptions they feel like, by uh, carrying around, you know, powers of attorney when we had to, 
you know, things like that. Whatever we had to do, whatever hoop it was, we were just, bam, there it is, we're going to jump through it. And that need is still there today, you know. Um, uh, you know, it's still, we're still not on the uh, non-discrimination Elliott Larson Act in the state of Michigan, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's not right. And uh, it's still, you know, uh, it's still in social media, right? It's still, you know, um, very, very easy to find people willing to talk about racism in um, some of the work that we do. And it's harder to find the general community willing to talk about uh, if racism and homophobia are on the table, homophobia doesn't come up. It's all Mm -hmm. about racism. And so, you know, um, and there's divisions within the the queer community around who is queer and who isn't, right? Uh, I had somebody tell me I'm a cis female, right? And I've been a lifetime butch lesbian, cross-dressing butch lesbian for, you know, 30 years. And I'm like, wow, you know, if I'm cis, we got some issues, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. And, uh, and so we've got, you know, we've got tensions within our community that we have to, you know, be willing to jump through hoops and take, take risks with together as well. You know, and I think that that's one of, you know, because I look at you and your wife and mm-hmm. I love how you love each other. And you've been together and you've gone through all of these. And sometimes it's like I look at that and then sometimes I look at, at newer couples who mm-hmm. didn't have that struggle. I mean, mm-hmm. I know a couple who had a destination wedding, you mm-hmm. know, you wow, know, right. hyphenated the names. Mm-hmm. A year later were divorced, <laughs> you know. Wow. And now uh, one of them's getting ready to get remarried. And I'm going like, you know, we went, we struggled. That was part of, not only were you doing this personally, but you were part of that <sighs> movement, you know, that right, activism. Right. This is what we, we were fighting for. And it's like, that's not what we did it for, you know? I mean, so, <laughs> you know, that's not what we did it you know, for. It's what really about I, I don't know, Michelle. I mean, I think we, in some ways, we did fight for the right for, uh, LGBTQ people to be able to make the exact same mistakes that everybody else makes. Isn't that mm-hmm. part of human being human? Okay. So, you know, Lisa and I, thankfully, were the right people for each other. Okay. And it may be that our struggle informed in a positive way, our love and the strength in our relationship. Right. And it may be that it didn't. I mean, where our community is being assimilated you know, at many levels, and at many levels it's not. And so that's yet another division or, or, or kind of tension in the community. And by the way, I don't use tension as a negative thing, okay? Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's uh, really, really interesting things that can happen at the point of tension, right? And uh, so I want to be really clear here. But you're right, I am white. My, I, we were able to do a, a lot of what we did, right? Like go and challenge the the people in City Hall about changing our name and challenging and challenging and challenging until we got into the judges' chambers, right? We were able to do that partly because we're white, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and I'm conscious of it and, uh, uh, and really, really, you know, you know that, that's, a, I don't know, even know what to say about that, okay? It helped us. And it has held other people in our community behind in, uh, in sometimes very terrible ways. Um, and so that's something that we as a community have to deal with and learn to grow together around 
rather than splitting up into, you know, black LGBT community, white LGBT community, you know, uh, queers versus, you know, straight up lesbians, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. I really, you know, for me, when I watch our community now, I see, uh, I worry about divisions rather than, you know, unions between uh, some of the various components of our community. And, and that makes me sad and a little worried, right? So uh, in, the, in the big picture, I think that there's so much more that we have in common that we, we're so much stronger when we work together. Well, you know, and, and you've been doing, I mean, and you've been in various mm-hmm. things. Like at one point you were like really involved when you were through Fellows of Michigan Equality. But, you know, mm-hmm. some of those divisions that have mm-hmm. still been there, you know, there's been, like you said, the white gay community, the black gay community. There has been that part of not supporting our trans community. And even within our trans community, there's the white trans community, the black trans community. There now, I mean, and then there's the separation, the recognition that there is a people of color community. And so mm-hmm, we still mm-hmm. see that there's a lot mm-hmm. of divisions mm-hmm. and separations. And like you said, you know, well, are you a cisgendered or whatever, where, you know, when are we going mm-hmm. to start to yeah. all come together and we still have these issues? Is that kind of discouraging to you or the fact that now it seems like we're talking more and 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 struggling with these tensions, is that encouraging? Well, I want to, so, so those times when I was very active, as you described, Michelle, I was, I was a community organizer at that time. I spent about eight years just doing different jobs in the community. I was, uh, uh, and I wanted to be clear here because I was able to do that because I took time out of, time out of uh, my, another, you know, other careers that I might have tried to work in the community. And I uh, was the founding president of Michigan Equality, and I was the nonprofit fundraiser at uh, the Ruth Ellis Center. I was a community organizer for two years for NARAL doing pro-choice work. Um, uh, I was a com- fund development director at the Shelter Association working for homeless uh, services in Ann Arbor. So there was a lot of very exciting, I was campaign manager. There was a lot of very exciting things that I did and I loved it. Did not pay enough. So now I sell cars. I tell people my first careers <laughs> in restaurants, I tell people I used to sell ca- food, and that, then I sold causes, now I sell cars. And there's an argument that me being mayor of Ypsilanti now is an extension of, you know, that community organizing, you know. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and so that's how I kind of approach, approach it. Um, not sad. I, I think, you know, I, I, I've been around long enough, and I imagine you have been too, where I see things as cyclical rather than uh, like we're heading down a dark path or anything like that, right? I think that... Um, uh, I think that, you know, to some extent, if I were to have a, a conversation about identity politics and the role that it's played in, this, in our community, it's helped many, 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 so many people uh, to find in themselves what was going on, right? Uh, and, and it's helped form support networks for people who would have been isolated in many, many ways. And it's also emphasized the differences between us within the community rather than emphasizing the ways in which we are in common. And so when we talk about identity politics, we have to acknowledge both the strengths of it and uh, the ways in which it's cost us some things in our community. And, um, and so I, I see, I, I tend to see it as more cyclical and uh, just trying to keep myself aware of what might be the next mm-hmm. way in this, which this manifests and, uh, uh, rather than as something that's a good thing or a bad thing per se. 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, okay, and you just, and you brought it up how, okay, you've always been you, you know. I mean, and anybody mm-hmm. who knows you, I mean, I mean, from the time I've known you, you've always identified to me. I mean, I've seen you as a butch lesbian. That's just it, straight mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You stepped away from the community work. Mm-hmm. And you went into car sales, mm-hmm. and I know I know that there were people like, oh, I hope she'll be okay. But I knew you were going to be okay because first mm-hmm. of all, you weren't like you've always been out and who you are. And mm-hmm. like you're talking about all these different things that you've done, this was just like another career. And like I said, you're not someone who says no, but you're also someone who's always trying to to say yes, to look at things, to help people achieve mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Was it that as smooth as a transition for you as I just knew it would be? <laughs> so it's very interesting. You know, like I was, I was thinking about this as I was preparing for your interview, Michelle, and just thinking about what questions you might ask. You know, um, uh, when I was a child, my, I, wanted to, I, I said I wanted to be a boy when I was four, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't want to be a boy. I was just I didn't, knew I didn't want to be a girly girl, right? And uh, my parents, to the, 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 heaven knows how they came up with this, okay? But in my raging tomboyness, they told me that if I could kiss my elbow, I would become a boy, okay? <laughs> they didn't tell me I was bad. They didn't tell me it's impossible. They gave me an impossible task, which kept me very busy, I will tell you. <laughs> I know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a contortionist and I can't kiss my elbow. And, uh, uh, but they didn't give me any self-punishing messages, right? And, um, and then the second thing that goes into why I'm kind of just so bluntly me, right? So I wasn't, I wasn't inundated with negativity much around my sexual orientation. There was a lot of abuse in my family, but that's a whole other conversation. But it wasn't around that necessarily. The second thing is, is that my mother is totally blind, Okay, and my parents divorced when I was nine, and I'm the oldest, and so I spent a lot of time walking into rooms with a blind woman on my arm. Now, uh, my mother was blind before I was born, by the way, so I was raised in the midst of disability. And uh, she's a very, very uh, smart woman. She got her master's degree. She's very capable. And uh, now, so that's my mother. Now, imagine a teenager. What does a teenager want most in the world? Okay, when they're with their parent is to hide, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you walk in the room with a disabled person, every eye on the room is on you, and especially in the 70s, okay, mm-hmm. when there was, people did not know etiquette anywhere mm-hmm. near to the level that we know today. And so I felt like I had a choice, right? I could walk into that room with my head down and my shoulders humped and, you know, all that jazz and and be embarrassed and ashamed and all that. Or I could walk in the room with my head high and look everybody in the eye and dare them to make a comment, right? And I chose the second one because I was going to do everything I was going to do proud. And uh, that kind of stance is kind of how I moved through life. And uh, I don't know if you know, know this about me. I was a bartender in the gay bars in the, in the uh, 80s. And, uh, hmm. and the, old, the older butchers used to come. I was at the uh, railroad crossing and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, back then. And the old butchers would come around, sit at the bar, and laugh their 
ever loving asses off at me, okay? Because, you know, I was I was working the bar. I'm this young butch. I didn't even really know I was butch. It was the 80s. You know, we were andro- everyone was androgynous. And these old butchers are watching me and laughing. And, and that was, you know, my first taste of starting to embrace that, that part of my personality. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Um, we're going to take our first break here. And, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit more about about being the daughter of someone mm-hmm. who is disabled and then also your career move. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with the mayor of Ypsilanti, Beth Bashir. Beth, you know, did you, you know, you took care of your mother. Did you, did you feel like it was taking away from your childhood or, or were you like, you know, put yourself in that oh, caregiver, you know, like, absolutely, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm handling Absolutely, it, you know? absolutely. I did not have a childhood. Okay, so, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and that is absolutely 100% true, and I have done a lot of work, and I'm, you know, on myself to not carry resentment and anger and and understand Mm -hmm. more about that process and what it did to me, right? And I feel like I'm the strong uh, person that I am today because of that experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, So I'm in a good place about it, but when I became a young adult, right, um, uh, the second aspect that you have to know about my family is that my mother is schizophrenic and so is my sister. And, um, and so I did not know if I was going to become schizophrenic either. And the cutoff year for schizophrenia is 25. Basically, if you make it to 25, you're home free. So when mm-hmm. I was a young adult, I thought, well, I got nothing to lose here. And I just messed around. I was a bartender. I had a fun time. I was bartender at the gay bars. I was really having a fun time. And, uh, um, and I was reasonably responsible. I didn't take stupid risks. I didn't do drugs, you know. I partied some. I, you know, messed around some. I had a good time. But I wasn't serious about life until I got to be 25. Then I thought, huh, okay, it looks like I'm here for the count. Okay, that was the first thing. And then when I was 26, uh, I, which is reasonably young, for a white person, I lost three people. Okay, I lost a, a friend to AIDS, one of the first AIDS deaths in Detroit, I lost somebody to a, a very violent gay bashing, and then I lost somebody to a cocaine-related suicide. All these were people that I worked with in the gay bars. And now I started to, one, I was, that, that was a lot of loss in one year for a young adult. And then the second, mm-hmm. so I was, I, was, I was not great, let's put it that way, after that year. And then, uh, and then I thought, this is not a long-term survival tactic, 
Okay. So what I did was I packed up. I moved from Detroit to Ann Arbor, put myself in school and therapy, okay, and uh, started the path to basically where I am now. Now, um, so uh, I did end up giving myself a second childhood in many ways during those years and uh, uh, feel like I got some of those wiggles that you have to get. But, you know, uh, that is one side effect. You're absolutely correct. Uh, Losing a childhood. There it is. Any child who has a disabled, you know, is a, a child of a single disabled parent is going to have that, a similar story like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it also makes me think like, you know, that it gives you a level of empathy, particularly when, you, when we talk about, you know, uh, DACA youth. Mm-hmm. I mean, because mm-hmm. often they're the ones who mm-hmm. have to be the interpreter for yep, their exactly. parents. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. to where suddenly they're in a grown-up world where they have to mm-hmm. to do all this because they're doing it. And I know mm-hmm. that as mayor, and you mm-hmm. see all of these, and and being a political person, that um, do you often like as you look at that, and even for some of our LGBT youth who you're telling, oh well, it gets better. And you went through that wondering, you know, well, if I make it to 25, many young LGBT youth don't think they're going to make it to 25. And then, right. like, they get there and they're like, oh, God, what am I going to do? Thank here, you. Right, exactly. In, mm-hmm. You're in a leadership role. And, and does that give you empathy for them where you feel that, you know, you have a message that you can talk to them to sort of say, hear what they're saying and not go like, oh, well, you know, you're not to a DACA youth. Yes, you, you've given up all of this and how do you reclaim it and your life is still ahead of you. Or to a LGBTQ, you know, it will get better. You haven't like totally screwed up. You can, now is the time to like reclaim and, and move forward. You know, it, it, you've, you've really expressed it really well, Michelle. You know, um, I, you know, to be able to understand the needs of a disabled person and basically anticipate them, I have uh, a strong feeling of empathy and understanding for the people around me. And uh, uh, I, uh, I, I care. So the difference between empathy and sympathy, right? I'm empathetic, mm-hmm. not necessarily sympathetic. And the way mm-hmm. that I define them is a sympathetic person who sees somebody on the side of a boat being sick, seasick, right, will go to the side of the boat and be seasick with them they're having, you know, they're sympathizing, they're carrying those motions. An empathetic person will get a glass of water and a cold cloth and bring them to mm-hmm. that person, right? So, um, uh, so I, uh, I, I've, I, I've learned, you know, that people like to know what's going to come next, okay, before it happens. This is, and I do this with my mother all the time. We're coming to a curb. I'm setting this down in front of you. You're Beans are at 10 o'clock on your plate, these kinds of things, okay? Um, and so that she understands where things are. And, um, uh, and we're able to do, you know, similar things in politics, okay? We're able to say, hey, this is news that's going to be coming up at city council, okay? This is an item that's going to be coming up. This is an issue that we're going to be facing pretty soon. And telling people what they can expect to see in a little while often takes away that surprise element that that uh, that oh my god why didn't I know about this before why was I not informed there's incompetence at the you know nobody's telling me what's going on and we live at a time when there's not enough 
news media coverage. There's definitely zero, close to zero media coverage in our part of the, the, the county and the state. And, uh, and so that becomes a very big skill. It helps me in sales, right, when I'm working with a client. I tell them the next step before I do it, and then I do it, right? And uh, so those are some of the uh, empathetic skills that come out of it. With young LGBT people, you know, I, I see where they're at and I care very, very deeply. And I love, love, love the idea that having an, a leader in the community who is, uh, 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 you know, unapologetically proud of who they are as, a, as, a, as I am as a butch lesbian, right, uh, give says something, right? It says something to the community. It says something to the, the, the young people. It says something to anybody who's struggling with their sexuality that anybody can be, uh, it, it can be a leader in our community. Anybody can make it through and uh, come out the other side and uh, be all that they want to be, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Now, I imagine, you know, when I think of being in, in auto sales, this is also giving you a, a, a really listening, learning app opportunity. You hear people mm-hmm. come in and they're talking about their finances. Um, you hear people and you hear people who are talking about, you know, what they want as far as the environment. You hear about their struggles. You know, I need mm-hmm. a car to mm-hmm. get back to work. I can't get – so, I mean, you know, so did you find this as uh, before, you know, you became, you know, city council hmm. – and then now to mayor. But did you find that, you know, first of all, it's an opportunity for people to interact with you and see, you know, like, here's this lesbian. I mean, and mm. no, you don't mm-hmm. have tails and a horn. You're out there to listen. But then also a place where it helped you form some ideas about the environment, about transportation, about the economy, about, mm-hmm. you know, where people are in life. So a uh, funny story. Yes, by the way. But the funny story is I've sold two cars to people who still legitimately think I'm a man, by the way. Really? And, uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and the conversation goes, it starts off like this, right? Uh, hi, I'm Beth. And they say, Beth, Beth, that's a funny name for a man. And, <laughs> and, then, and then I say, it would be if I were. And then they look at my breasts. Right, and, mm-hmm. and, and which is always a funny interaction, and a couple of people never got past it. Okay, they still call me by male, you know, pronouns, and I don't care. It's their, you know, they they don't just they're not doing it to be mean. They're not. They're just confused, and that's okay with me. Right, and uh, the the listening though, you're right. In sales, we we get more and more experience to listen to people, to listen what's underneath what's being said, to. Uh, hear some of the the depth of the complexity. Sometimes the, the, a, a stated solution has a question behind it, and, and finding out what that question is is really, really helpful, right? Uh, the same thing is true in politics. The same thing is true in, in a relationship, in a friendship, right? Uh, um, if uh, a friend I haven't heard from in a while calls me and says, hey, Beth, you want to go out for a, a, a beer? And I say, yeah. But if I also say, hey, I'd love to, is everything okay? Why did you call me out of the blue, right? Mm-hmm. Just ask the question behind the question. It's a real thing. If you ask a real question with empathy, nobody gets mad at a direct question. And, um, uh, and, I, and I think that uh, uh, that's one of the skills, and it's, gonna, and it's helping me quite a bit in politics, I also believe. Because, you know, I, 
I'm not about policy. I'm not about, you know, I'm not trying to change policy. I'm not a policy wonk. I can't quote, you know, laws, chapter and verse, or, you know, ordinances, chapter and verse. But I'm a community organizer, and I work with people. And so politics, from my perspective, the way that I want to work with it is about people, not about, you know, rules and orders and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's interesting, though, that, that you said, like, some people, they sort of look at that, and, the, and some people can't get beyond that. Oh, wait, Beth, oh, he, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and they just can't get beyond that. But then, I mean, it also gives you that opportunity. And often, you know, it's like relationships, you know, like you mm-hmm. might sell to one generation and the next generation comes, but it also gives you a barometer on um, mm-hmm. what's happening mm-hmm. in the community. One of the things you talked about in your campaign was the brain drain. And I'm sure that you've seen, you know, like mm-hmm. one generation and then the next one, well, where's your son? Oh, well, they're going to graduate and they're going to move here and that. Mm-hmm. You know, what an interesting, did you think that it was going to give you that insight when you went there or oh, was it no. like a pleasant surprise? Oh, it's a huge surprise. I mean, not only, you know, so generationally, I just heard a speaker talk about uh, the marketing to the different generations, you know, uh, the boomers, X generation, millennials, et cetera, right? And then there's subgroups within there. It was fascinating, fascinating uh, 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 keynote speech. And I... um, uh, so, but not only do I, I understand uh, the different tones and, uh, you know, needs of different uh, uh, generations, but about 40% of my clients do not speak English as a first language, okay? Mm-hmm. Ann Arbor is very international because of the hospitals and university and et cetera, right? And I can now negotiate in, in, in quite a few different styles, based on different countries, right? And I understand the cultural differences about how they do transactions. Not, it's not just, you know, Asians are one way and, you know, Russians are another, Middle Easterns are another. It's nothing like that, right? It's, it's you know, within each uh, uh, continent, each, every country, every, you know, area within those countries has, you know, styles. I'm not going to say that I'm an expert or, or uh, that, uh, you know, that I could, write a book on it or anything, but I can tell you the difference between how I would work with somebody from China versus somebody from Japan versus somebody from India versus somebody from, you know, uh, uh, Northern Africa, something like that. It's endlessly interesting to me. And you could knock me over with a feather. You know, I sell essentially the same, you know, half dozen cars over and over and over again. Okay. And, uh, If you think about it like that, it would be a boring thing if I was focusing on the cars. But what makes it really interesting is, boy, are the people great. And they're really, really interesting, and they're never identical. And after I've been at this dealership for uh, uh, nearly 13 years now, and I have a large base of regular clientele from incredibly broad demographic groups, which makes me incredibly proud because, one, first of all, loyalty in the car industry for a salesperson is – not that common. And then second of all, that all these people from disparate walks of life and different parts of the world and different, you know, backgrounds all have chosen to trust me, you know, uh, with a major transaction more than once. It's a good thing. Do you think that there's, I mean, and and there's, you know, there are no coincidences. There's a reason Mm -hmm. why you're an Ypsilanti. And do you think that in doing that and seeing all these different people from different walks of life coming through there has also 
made how you look at that city and the strength mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, possibilities of Ypsilanti because really, I mean, it is sort of unique. It's between, it's not Ann Arbor, it's not Detroit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still like both of them. It has a university. It has other mm-hmm. things, but it has this diverse community. But oh. there's a difference to Ypsilanti than there is mm-hmm. to Detroit and and Ann Arbor, I don't know if it's because it's smaller, if it's like a sense of neighborhood, a sense of people, of diversity. Well, what is it? It's Ypsilanti is a, a crucial. We we are we are uh, we are actually very diverse. So our our motto is pride, diversity, heritage, and we have um, about a thirty percent African American population. Uh, there's uh, a, a smaller percentage, maybe about eight percent of uh, Latinx, you know, uh, and then uh, a smaller but growing group of Middle Eastern, you know, folks in our community. And then uh, we also are home to a university, Eastern Michigan University, and that means we have a large student population. We have a large rental population. And uh, and then we have the second largest historic district in the state of Michigan. Uh, so we have some affluent, more affluent people. They're not, I wouldn't call anybody in Ypsilanti rich, but there are some people that have some very nice houses uh, from the uh, late 1800s and in our city. And then uh, a lot of the professors also live here. So we have a, a broad swath of people in our city. We have enough people. Uh, so... We also have, what do I want to say? So we have a very high, high, one of the highest levels of activism I've ever seen in any community here in Ypsilanti. So for instance, uh, a few years ago, the city could not afford to run the pool anymore. So a group of citizens got together and ran the pool. They ran the pool for a decade, okay? Mm -hmm. And then when the pool broke, because pools age, and it needed to be rebuilt, they raised $1.8 million to build a state-of-the-art new pool. Not, you know, wow. it's not huge, okay? And they formed their own independent nonprofit, and, uh, uh, and they, you know, to run it on an ongoing basis and take it to a new level. And the city contributes to it, as do some other entities. Uh, but that's an, one example of, uh, I could tell you about what has happened in Ypsilanti when something uh, needs to be done. When we ran the non-discrimination co- campaigns in 1998 and uh, 2002 to, to uh, pass and then protect our inclusive non-discrimination ordinance, by the way, which was, I think, the second in the state, which was inclusive of transgender and uh, gender expression, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, it was embryonic language at the time. That was 20 years ago, right? Okay. So, uh, uh, and it has been updated since then, but we were inclusive and ready uh, uh, to take that step, and we did. Um, uh, Back then, uh, you know, we could, um, you know, we had 250 volunteers on that first campaign here in Little Old Lipsy, okay? And the second campaign, we had 450 volunteers. And we raised record numbers of money for a campaign in the city of Ypsilanti for both those campaigns. And granted, not all the volunteers came from our city, but the leadership did. And not all the money came from our city, but the vast majority of it did. You get, you get how it goes, right? This is, a, mm-hmm. this is a city that wants to work on solutions, and that, that is one of the most powerful tools you can have in a community. Uh, it, 
it's it's a, a awesome. It's an awesome tool in all of the meanings of awesome. Now you know you went into politics. I mean, you, know, you went from you know being an advocate activist. You know, um, mm-hmm. you've learned about the community through your work. Then you decided to be part of the city council. Now I know many people say you know they don't want to take that step. You know, to become mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the political system because. There are limitations in doing that. But what made you decide to, you know, run for office to start out with? And as part of being the city council, what did you bring to it? I know that you met with people regularly, which is not, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. every city you don't find that happening, but you met with Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. and you were able to hear them and bring them back. But what made you decide, okay, I'm going to go ahead, I can make a difference in this structure, this political structure. You're right. I made the transition from being a, uh, an issue advocate, right, for uh, a few issues, right, uh, all very, very left, LGBTQ rights and uh, equality and uh, environmental. I, was, I, ran, I ran a couple of environmental campaigns. I worked for pro-choice. I mean, I, I uh, was very issue-focused. I loved being an issue organizer. And uh, in many ways, uh, I, and, and for different reasons, I love being on city council. Lisa and I make a, a joke about ourselves. She's an issue advocate, and right now she's working on racial justice issues and prisoner advocacy issues and water protection, right? Very mm-hmm. active in the Poor People's Campaign. And uh, she would never, ever consider being on an office of any sort. She wants to work outside the system to push the system towards change, right? Okay. Now, Uh, I like working inside the system. I like being a force for change from inside the system, okay? Using the tools that are in place uh, to uh, maximize uh, the possibilities for people who are, uh, for everybody, quite frankly, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, For the people who have the least resources for whatever reason, whether they're LGBTQ or black or brown or disabled or whatever reason, right? I want to make sure that they have as much equal access as is possible uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, within our community. So that's what I want to do. And the joke that Lisa and I make about that inside and outside the system is it keeps both of us honest, right? We, we <laughs> both push each other a little mm-hmm. bit and we hold each other accountable, right? And, uh, and it's a delightful balance in our relationship. Um, uh, I envy to some extent people who are sole issue advocates because they have the privilege and the ability and the urgency to disregard all the tangential issues that are related to whatever issue it is, right? As an office holder, I have to balance the needs of more than one group of people at any one time. And that is harder. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I uh, and more complex, and uh, it's 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 um, you know it's easy to see where it's not working, and sometimes it's harder to see where it is working. Uh, and as an optimist, as somebody who's always looking for the positive, I try and find what is working and build out from there. Uh, but that said, sometimes there's not enough working, and we have to uh, build from the ground up. 
Um, that balancing act is intriguing to me and challenging. And I think if we don't have people like me willing to take on that, the possi- there's a bigger possibility of, of failure, it, it, you know, when you take on that kind of balancing act too. If we don't have people within our community who are willing to take on that increased risk of failure, then, you know, uh, we're not going to get leadership in a, it, it, you know, anywhere. We're just not. And so uh, I like the challenge. I'm not afraid of failure, quite frankly. I've failed more times than I can begin to tell you about. And uh, uh, I pick myself up, dust myself off, and try again, you know, uh, uh, or change something, right, whatever's necessary. Um, but somebody has to be willing to do that. I um, had taken a break from activism uh, for a while, uh, I had started doing uh, campaign management within the city uh, around uh, some, you know, some local campaigns within the city around taxes and things like that. Just to, and I was working with city council and mm-hmm. getting more involved at a gradual level. And then the seat became open; it wasn't going to be challenged. I threw my, I, I thought it's an e- we're empty nest now. Our children are gone out of the house, and I have a stable career, why not try it, right? So uh, I did it. I got on city council when I was running for city council. Everybody that I talked to said, when I was knocking on the doors, I heard quite often, I don't even know what my city council person looks like. I've never seen I've never seen them. I don't know what, they don't respond when I do this or that and this other thing. So I said, well, that's something it's easy to fix, right? I'll set up a regular office hours. So I did. Anybody can come by anytime, talk about anything with me. Mm. And those have been a lot of fun, right? And again, if you think about politics as being about people, then that is a logical first step, right? We live in a a community that's a news desert for all intents and purposes. WMU does as much as they possibly can. Concentrate does as much as they possibly can, but there's no ongoing day-to-day regular news. Well, I can do something about that. I've been putting out a weekly newsletter through the city and enhancing it through social media. And it's electronic and, and it communicates news and, and I invite anybody to submit to me anything that they want. And uh, see there's, so when I see a need and there's an easy solution, I try it, right? And then if it works, mm-hmm. I'll figure out how to make it more stable and last longer. So You know, now you and Lisa know each other. I mean, you, it, it's a beautiful dance. But at some point, you know, as it came that, that city comes, was there a point where she sort of said, you know, this is what I do. This is what you do, and you do it well. You need to get in there. Did she like sort of like say, "This is your thing, Beth. You need to be doing it." Did she give you a little nudge towards politics? The, con- the conversation about being mayor was a little more complex than that. She mm-hmm. wants me to have whatever I want, and she thinks she thought from the beginning I would be a good mayor. Now, whether or not it was something that she wanted me to do was a little more complex, right? Because I, you know, you know, I'm working between city and, and, and work. Now I'm working 60, 70 hours a week all the time. And so I'm not as present. That's a big mm. impact. You know, um, when I'm home, I'm more tired. 
because I'm middle-aged and I'm working 60 to 70 hours a week and that mm-hmm. takes its toll, right? And, uh, uh, and so that has an impact. And so, you know, it's only been four months. I don't have the balance down yet. I don't know if I ever will, but I definitely don't have it down at this time. So what I have to, you know, so she and I, so she and I had to figure out if we thought our relationship and our, our lifestyle could sustain me being the mayor, first of all, then if we wanted it. And then, so we had those, and she's 100% supportive. And in fact, she's a huge help to me. She does a lot of editing and, and uh, 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 um, support with the writing that I have to do. And uh, there's many ideas that I bounce around with her before I take anywhere. And I have, in addition, an advisory committee that I work with that helped me so much, I, I, I have to tell you. So I, I uh, would, you know, I am thankful for her support uh, and uh, our relationship is utterly and completely primary um, in everything that we consider doing. You know, I think, I think, and it is. It's like it's nice that you have that balance, that that thing. You know, that she holds you accountable. Um, you know, you can bring up ideas. Has there ever been something that that a hot button for her that you said, you know, I hear you, but right mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. I have to put this on the back burner, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to forget. And, mm-hmm. you know, how does that, how does that, how does she take that when you, you know, you said, wait, I got to put on the mayor hat. So I hear you, but has to go on the back burner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so uh, she's not, she's a very uh, determined woman. So that does not go down easily when I say that to her. I will tell you. <laughs> and I'm proud of her for that. Um, I will tell you right now the you know, there's some very, very, very important and charged conversations going on about race in our community. These are happening across the country, but they're very, very charged here in our community. And uh, Lisa has been doing so much work around uh, race equity um, and uh, with the Poor People's Campaign in particular. And uh, she and I have been having some very, very complex and uh, incredibly helpful conversations about, you know, uh, how that, how, how my role, how the city can do better and better and better, right? And what I might think might be better through our conversations and through what I know of the city so far, right? I'm still at the beginning of my learning curve, might not be what uh, she thinks might be better, right? Uh, Or it might not be fast enough for the community, or it might not be, uh, I might not use uh, the right political language, right? Uh, Politically correct language at the time. And by the way, I really, really get annoyed by politically correct language. So I am Mm -hmm. refusing to use the word intersectionality right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, because I just, I just, I just want to be real with people. I don't want to use code words just to pass a test, right? I want to be real, and um, and so uh, so those are those are. I have to say, I think that she and I are going to be having these conversations for years and years and years. And uh, I somebody asked me recently if you know what's going on is going to be more than talk around race, right? Or we can actually make some changes happen. And uh, my answer back was that I actually think we have more tools now than we ever have had for actually making progress around race equity. And, uh, and I may be way off base on this, but when I grew up in the 60s, right, my parents were 
good, lib- good white liberals, good white Jewish liberals, right? They told me, everybody's the same inside. We're all the same, okay? And there's no difference. And you know what? That was the dogma at the time, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. And now it's a long time later, and I've learned so much, and we've all learned so much since then, okay? And uh, I've, I thankfully have been able to adapt. Not all people my age have been able to adapt, right? Uh, but um, and learn more and more. But I think the language that we have now is so much more complex and so much more uh, has so much more depth in it that I feel like there's possibilities that we might never have had before. I don't know if it's going to result in real change yet. And the the, the race disparities in my city and in this country are they flew past appalling years ago and uh you know not just the violence but the the devastated school systems and the the lack of of um uh opportunities uh that your zip code decides what your outcomes are going to be these Mm -hmm. are crimes being committed to people based on uh race and uh and, and it's so much worse than it's ever been and i also feel like we have more tools than we've ever had so whether or not something will come out of it um, it is. It remains to be seen. I want to try. Do you feel that you know, like from back in your, your, your let's go all the way back to the Ruth Ellis days to now, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you're able to to look at these things and to sort of like where back in the day we would all say it gets better, but now to see that there are things like education, um, mm-hmm. opportunity, transportation, that there mm-hmm. are these other influences that keep things from getting better, which sort of make these racial disparities, do you think that life and the path that you've taken has been able to where you're able to look at it and then say, like, you know what, if people can't get to jobs or if there aren't jobs or if the people who are mm-hmm. doing innovations are leaving here, that we won't make it, you know, and that everyone feels right. that they can come and do that. Do you feel that life has opened your eyes to where you're able to make that statement that you see that, you know, you know, we're not there yet, but there are things here that can make it happen. Look, look if we're not going to, if, if we don't have hope, we're not going to try. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's just true. And, you know, I, I had, you know, you've heard part of my story today, and, and I've had a very bumpy life, right? And I was able to, to survive and even thrive in it, and a good, solid portion of why I was able to do that is because I'm white. Okay, and there was some other, you know, probably other things going on. But if I wasn't white, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have made it. Okay, and and uh, and and that's real and that's true. And I and I used to be pretty damn cocky about how freaking strong I was, right? And mm-hmm. the reality is, is that I'm white. Okay, so um, acknowledging and and incorporating those into our discussions in a real way is is a good is a good start right and and when i campaigned i told people i will talk to anybody whether we disagree or agree whether we've whether we've worked together or on opposite sides in the past okay i don't care we we will talk if you want to talk with me i will talk with you and uh and then i will reach out to people all the time who i have disagreed with in the past who have been on opposite sides of a an issue with me to work on a new issue with me so that we don't become so that we don't become trapped in our silos 
Yeah, uh, so we don't become trapped in those silos of differences, right? I disagree with, with so-and-so on such-and-such such issue. I, he's bad to me. He's dead to me now, you know. That's ridiculous. We have to just say, okay, that issue's done. Let's pick it up and try again on another one. And it's not about, you know, whether or not we like each other. It's about whether or not we can get things done. We need to um, uh, listen to each other more and talk less and we need to uh, bring more people to the table uh, and let go of history sometimes to see what can happen anew. And I think that's really the best way forward that I can think of today. Okay, well, we're going to take our second break here, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Because, I mean, it's funny that you said uh, silos, because that's what was going through my mind. But we'll be right Mm -hmm. back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. I want to welcome you back to our conversation here with Ypsilanti Mayor Beth Bashir. Beth, I mean, you know, it was funny as you were talking, and, and you talk, started to talk about silos. And, you know, that's been something that has happened all the time, you know, mm-hmm. that we've gotten into our own silos, and, you know, I'm all about this, and I'm, I'm about that, and I'm about this, and we can all work together. And I'll use the dreaded word intersectionality because, you know, really, you know, I mean, let's face it, um, you, um, you have lived as a caregiver, the child mm-hmm. of someone who was uh, differently abled. I mean, mm-hmm. you've been a member of the gay community. You've been mm-hmm. a butch member of a lesbian. I mean, you know, you've been in politics. You've done all of this stuff. And so... And to not be able to recognize that there's all of this and that you can do this, often we stay in our silos and Mm -hmm. that doesn't, Mm -hmm. did you find, and I've had this happen too, that when you decided that you were going to particularly run for mayor or, or even from city council, that people wanted you, expected you to just be running from your gay silo and not recognizing that, you know, hey, I know mm-hmm. I'm concerned about the environment. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about everything that you are. And how did you bust it out to mm-hmm. get them to go to see you beyond, oh, she's a gay candidate? You know, that's, a, that's an interesting question, Michelle. I've never thought about that. So I'm kind of thinking out loud because I'm a little bit of an extrovert. Um, I had been uh, active and visible in the community uh, in, uh, you know, in probably, let's call it a half a dozen uh, campaigns as, as chair or manager of them, right? And uh, a voice in the media it, it, through some of those campaigns. Uh, I had 
influenced and been active in several council and mayoral campaigns in addition to that. So I was kind of a known entity. Um, mm-hmm. So, and because the issues that I had been active involved, active in in the city, it were started out uh, related to and you know directly related to LGBTQ issues, right? The the non inclusive non discrimination campaign, that was my start, and it was like, oh my God, was it fun to win? That was a hook that you cannot possibly imagine, right? And. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we, uh, but I was I was kind of a known entity, and so I think people were uh, not too surprised that I'm uh, uh, excited and interested in many of the complex issues about that go on in a city like ours. You know, uh, in these days, you know, and I think that's the whole thing. It's about okay, especially since 2016, and there's been this call for you know there's uh, women to be out and about and talking. Because we do. I mean, you know, we do so many, many things. Visibility. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I hear from you. It's like, you know, they might have first been introduced to you through one of these campaigns, but you're a member of the community, and mm-hmm. you're doing that, and you're everywhere. As you hear this call to encourage more women, more people of mm-hmm. color, mm-hmm. more black people, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of mm-hmm. my things. I, I, I like the umbrella of people of color, but also don't forget that I'm black. Okay. Black and people, right. more exactly. members of LGBTQ community, if you're talking to them and people are thinking about doing that, how important is visibility and, and showing up in your community? Well, there's a there's a saying that I kind of live by, and it's it it, it says the world is one run by those who show up, right? And so if you you want to make a change, you just show up, right? Just be mm-hmm. there, and if you keep on showing up, uh, things are going to start to happen, and you'll be part of the change. You'll be part of the decisions. You'll be part of the actions just by being there. On my worst days, if I just show up. I've accomplished a lot. And uh, uh, so um, I would say that's one of the key elements, okay, and then that that you have to do, that I had to do, and that I did, uh, and what Lisa does, quite frankly, too, because she goes to I don't know how many meetings a week with her different work. And, um, And so the second element is, Wait, I'm losing this train of thought, Michelle. Oh my gosh, I'm losing this train of thought. Um, of being, you know, when you show, when I showed up as myself about a tax issue, when I showed up as my butch self to help get a millage pass to pay for more uh, busing, more buses, you know, uh, for mm-hmm. our city, uh, those were. Uh, those were, you know, those were times when people started, or gave them opportunity to see me as more complex, right? I wasn't there because I'm gay. I'm not, I wasn't there because I'm butch. I was there because I think public transportation is an important uh, need of a community, and we need to have it, and not necessarily for me. I'm not even a bus taker, right? But, um, uh, but uh, many of the poor people in our city are, and we need to have it for them. So I showed up, and then... There it is. So, you know, when we, we come to, uh, when, we, when we do that, that helps the community see us for less, more than two-dimensional beings, right? Reason that one of, there's so many side effects with, when we tell 
women to run for office, when we tell black people to run for office, brown people to run for office, queers to run for office, when we do that, we are bringing not just new voices to office, we are also bringing more voters to the polls. The same old white men run for office over and over again, the same people are going to vote them in. But when you run for office, when I run for office, when, you know, a duck runs for office, it doesn't matter. People who know that person, that duck, that, that, that have relationship with them, that can see that their voice might be more present, more voters, new voters are going to come to the polls, and that's when change can really be possible. And a lot of it, I mean, to vote, people often want to vote at the top of the ticket. Mm-hmm. What would you say to how would you encourage people to be more involved in local politics because really, I mean, that's part of what you're doing. And even if you never go any further than being mayor, you've changed, you've moved hearts and minds just in that Ypsilanti area, and you don't know where they're going to end up, but their mindset will be different because having interacted with their mayor, Beth Bichert. Um, Mm -hmm. How do we encourage people or make people realize how important it is to be engaged at local politics? Local, local politics is such a fun, weird animal. It is completely different than, you know, the state and federal. It's, it's you know, this is, you know, in a small town like Ypsilanti, we're 21,000, right? Most of us live in moderate-sized towns with the exception of Detroit, right? Detroit would not, you know, your, your, your local district would be called your local politics in that case. But in a town like Ypsilanti, Everybody is second degree to everybody, and uh, there's hardly any secrets. And uh, strong personalities can make a big difference in a local issue. At the same time, local politics is kind of uh, we are we are we are restricted by in what we can do by the federal laws, by the state laws, and by the county laws before we can even start to take action. So when we look at making a change, we have to look at what does this law say, what does that law say, what does that law say, and where is our wiggle room in here? And so it, it leaves, you know, to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I love a challenge, right? And if mm-hmm. you draw lines around me, I get really, really interested because I'm going to push on those lines. I'm going to explore every nook and cranny within those lines. I'm going to uh, take a look at who drew those lines and how to contact them. There's all kinds of creativity. So local politics is just a weird animal. It can be a – I mean, this is funny to say because federal, federal politics right now is very volatile, but local politics can be very volatile as well because, again, of that big personalities and uh, local communities can you know, have strong feelings on the, on the drop of a dime. It just happened here last, last week in our city, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it will happen again, right? And because that's the animal. And weirdly enough, I like local politics. I'm attracted to it. I don't know why. Might be a mental health issue involved with it. I'm really not willing to support. <laughs> so so what know, I would say now. to people is, uh, y- your question is, is that, you know, uh, uh, that's where you can make a real impact, on your day-to-day life. The, the, the laws, the, 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 the politics that impacts the day-to-day to your life, how do you get to work? You know, uh, are the sewers maintained? You know, do you have running water? Uh, does your street light work? All these little things that really drive us around the bend, uh, those are all local politics. And, and that's, you know, so day-to-day life, that's where it's happening, not at the state and federal level. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you feel any... 
I mean, when you stop and you look at, okay, you've got um, a lot of LGBTQ people in politics who are winning, like we had Andrea mm-hmm. Jenkins in many, uh, Minnesota, uh, Kirsten Cinema. I mean, the next mayor of Chicago might be mm-hmm. an openly gay a lesbian. And the 49th district, uh, 49th ward in Chicago, a young lesbian, wow. I mean, just kicked the ass and won. Here you are. You're the mayor of Ypsilanti. You've got Dana Nessel. Mm-hmm. Is there, uh, do you feel a uh, uh, responsibility or something because you're in that spotlight? Uh, oh, and we've got a, a gay governor who's, I mean, we've got someone who's gay who's running for president. Do you feel mm-hmm. like this, this mantle, uh, uh, extra responsibility when it's spotlighted as that, as here you're one of these LGBTQ wins uh, across the country, and why do you, do you think that it's happening? I think it's wonderful that people are looking at candidates as candidates and what they're talking about. But did you, back in the day, ever think that we would see, <laughs> you know, Kirsten Cinema and, and the Senate, that you'd have someone who was openly gay running for president, you know, and across the country, the third city, largest city in the country, you know, might have a gay mayor. Did you ever think that it would be that point that you would be in this group? This is a gay governor. I know the whole thing is 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 amazing to me. Uh, uh, n- well, so much has happened. I mean, I, I you know I came out in the seventies, you know, into the gay community, and and uh, you know uh, the sea change that has gone on is uh, indescribable. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when when Lisa and I got married, I think it was two years before I could even get comfortable with the word wife. I mean, I. I I didn't expect to get married in my lifetime, period. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so that's just one example. So to see, you know, you know, out gay office holders at every level of government nearly, right, is astounding and, um, uh, and, uh, and wonderful. Uh, I think that... Um, one of the former city council person tells a story about me. She asked me to run the city for city council, I don't know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I said, no, the city's not, there's no way I could be a city council person. You know, I'm a, I'm a butch lesbian, not going to happen. Right. And now I'm the mayor. And she continually teases me about that, by the way. And, um, uh, and uh, at the time, I don't think it would have been successful. You know, I, you know, 25 years ago, um, it would have been a, a subject matter. It is a subject, a, an issue of subject in Ypsilanti, particularly among uh, some sections of the black community, but for the most part, it's, it's a non-issue. And, um, and, and that is interesting to me. I don't feel like I have to perform at a certain level because I'm uh, gay. I th- I'm, I'm driven to perform at a certain level because of who I am, right? And I pretty mm-hmm. much feel like um, uh, that's just, just, uh, just how I am. I have not ever parsed out if part of it's because I have to prove something. But because I had such a hectic childhood, I define myself on such a complex series of levels that uh, being a butch lesbian is you know, one part that's brought me a lot of pleasure, but it's not necessarily the age, the, the complete defining feature of who I am. 
Yeah. You know, but it's funny, you know, because, and it's interesting, though, that even though that we see this, I mean, mm-hmm. I have friends who are, are gay and in Chicago, and they said, you know, they thought, well, Lori Lightfoot, she's an excellent candidate, but, you know, we don't think that Chicago is ready for this. And then mm-hmm. now she or she is in the runoff. How long before we start pinching ourselves and going like, this is real? <laughs> uh, uh, there, uh, you know, there's a question, right? I mean, do, do we expect a backlash? There was backlash mm-hmm. against uh, Obama and we're in, the, in the form of Trump, you know, for all intents and purposes. Is there going to be a backlash to, I actually think there is a backlash to uh, the enhanced freedoms that we've enjoyed since uh, marriage equality was passed and, and more and more office holders are stepping forward, right? Um, uh, and so that's a question that I ask. Um, so I'm not pinching myself because we are mm-hmm. nowhere near at uh, the end of the work to be done to get to uh, balanced leadership, appropriate representation from the many unre- underrepresented communities in our country, not just gay, but black, but uh, disabled, right, uh, veterans, uh, there's so much imbalance about what's going on. And, uh, and again, I think, you know, because I've integrated a number of, I don't know. No, I'm not going to go there. I just think that um, what I want to say is that there's miles and miles and miles to go that this Mm -hmm. is exciting and refreshing, but I'm not, I'm not standing down by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't think anybody should. Yeah, you know, and I, I think so too. I mean, you know, that's why, like you said, there there was a, a pushback. Okay, you had Obama, and people thought, and then you have, you know, our current administration, and mm-hmm. even though we have marriage equality, we see this pushback. But it just like it is also we're there for the fight. You know, it's like you know, mm-hmm, don't give mm-hmm. us a taste and think you're going to take it back. We're there for mm-hmm. the fight. Where maybe not in our generation, but in future generations because you see that the beauty of youth, that, you know, Mm -hmm. it is going to be different. When we see a change happening Mm -hmm. in our government and our way of thinking, we've still got a long way to go, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the salvo has been been sent and we're fighting this fight so that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to get there. Yeah, we're going to get there sooner or later. So what what is life like? What is the greatest moment? What is the good thing that has come out of that you discovered out of being now that you're mayor and your relationship <laughs> with your community? You know, that is a hilarious question. Uh, first of all, uh, I can marry people, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious and ironic, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the last mayor loved marrying people, so there were some backed up marriage request when I got in and so I did several in a row I didn't know how to marry people I had no clue I had to look it up and practice right and then um and then so that's one thing and uh uh and I have some friends that have reached out to me to let me marry them and that is just oh my gosh what an honor right mm-hmm. and um uh and then the second the second thing that is really kind of delightful is that people call me uh your honor which 
again. (laughs) 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 I am tickled to no end, right? It's only been four months, and, and, you know, uh, I get called Madam Mayor, which is also a little little tickled to me, but um, as a butch, but uh, uh, Your Honor absolutely slays me because, of course, you know, think of all the names that we've been called in our lives, Michelle, mm-hmm. right? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hardly Your honorable. Honor yeah. on the, right on uh-huh. So those are some of the, the things. I am enjoying, you know, the, the work itself is amazing and wonderful. I, I'm learning, you know, the, the learning is is huge, right? I'm learning so much more about how the city runs and uh, what makes it tick and, and how to get things moved from point A to point B. As a community organizer, you know, I became kind of a strategist, you know, about I'm here to make a project move along from point A to point B to point C to point D, right? And, and get, it, get it moved along. And, and uh, you know, I manage processes as much as I manage outcomes. And, um, and so as mayor, that's what I'm doing as well. And so uh, starting a couple of proce- projects, I'm starting an arts commission that I think will bring some enhanced not just art, but economic development to the city, both of which would be beautiful and exciting, right? And uh, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we just passed uh, the idea that we're going to put in a train station, right? And we're exploring a grant possibility for that. And that actually has a highly likely outcome, a positive outcome. And I think, you know, wow, these are pretty exciting things. I get to learn how to build a train station. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how cool is that, right? <laughs> So I'm I'm a kid in a toy shop in it you know at some you know like microscopic level and just having a great time with it. I did not expect to enjoy it this much, but I am. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So in the time that we have left, give us your mayoral pitch for the great city of Ypsilanti. Oh wow, this is great. Um, um, Ypsilanti is, I, you know, I have to tell you, I love Ypsilanti. It's, it's, it's. Uh, uh, I've loved living here. Lisa and I have lived here for 28 years, and we've had um, nothing but positive interactions with our neighbors and uh, our intimate circle of friends. Uh, now has includes mostly people in our own neighborhood just because we found people that we share values with and uh, uh, that, that are nearby and how wonderful it is to have a community like that. I live in a neighborhood that is kind of the, the type of neighborhood that you might see on TV where you can walk down the street, knock on the door, and, and uh, borrow a couple of eggs or a tool, right, hmm. and where mm-hmm. we sit on the front porches together and schmooze. And that's true in every single neighborhood whether it's one of the more affluent white neighborhoods or maybe our poorer black neighborhoods, right? That's true everywhere. We have a very comfortable city with a, a lot of close-knit friendships and relationships um, in our city. We have um, uh, the second largest historic district in the city. We're on the Huron River, which is lovely for recreation. And uh, uh, going to, um, uh, and we're preparing that river for climate change by doing some really interesting things to the river, a lot to learn about there. We have festivals that are just an absolute blast. We are the home of the oldest Tucker 
dealership, Hudson dealership in the entire country was in Ypsilanti, Michigan. It's now an antique car museum. And uh, that's very fun and interesting. And uh, we have festivals all the time. We have an Elvis Fest that has become quite a big festival. We have a a beer festival uh, that I love going to and is really a big draw to the city. We have several car festivals because of the Hudson uh, Car Dealership Museum that is here. And uh, there's just a lot going on. You cannot fall down in the city of Ypsilanti without landing on something that is fun and interesting to do. And if you want to know, by the way, our, our Pride event which is part of a First Fridays event that we have here in the city. From March through December, every First Friday is a self-guided art tour walk of the downtowns. And we have three downtown districts, and all three participate. And there's stu- uh, studios that are open late. Restaurants have art hanging on their walls, themed along the same theme of whatever guided art tour it is. There's bands everywhere for a couple of them we closed down the street one of those first fridays is pride and Mm. i was campaigning at this pride event huge the spike in attendance for that one is almost double every other first friday and you cannot get a seat in a restaurant on a first friday okay that's how big pride is and when i was out there hustling for my mayoral ship at the pride event I got to tell you, the vast majority of people I talked to were from not just outside Ypsilanti, but outside the county. I talked to people from that had come here from across the state for our Pride event. That is becoming a big Pride event, which makes me, not to be redundant, very proud. (laughs) 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 And, you know, uh, we changed our city model to include diversity when we passed our inclusive non-discrimination ordinance. Okay, this is the little things that add up to the big things that really make Ypsilanti just a really dynamic uh, city to be in. Uh, um, And I invite everybody to come here. We just had a couple of fun awards. We were just called one of the best top 10 budget destinations in the country by budget travel. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. and uh, they said they they had a lot of what I just told you about, but that's another story about Ypsilanti. We're uh, uh, a little more gritty than some of our neighbors, like Ann Arbor. It's a little more working class, a little more loosey-goosey, and quite frankly, I like it. I like it without all the polish uh, and shine added yet. And uh, that's what we are. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, I often tell people, like, my best Ypsilanti stories, people talk about different musicians, and I think I was in, actually, I was in, Cartagena, Colombia, and there was this hmm. thing, and this lady was, she was talking to me, and, she, and they had a mural of Celia Cruz, and I said, yeah, I saw her, she was amazing, he said, oh, where did you see her? And I told him, Ypsilanti, Michigan, and people were like, Ypsilanti, Michigan, <laughs> and it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen, so, you know, Ypsilanti, it's, it's a gem, uh. and so are you. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with me today. And for all you've done, I'm telling you, I'm going to be spending more time up there in Ypsilanti this summer. I mean, just some of the things that you've told me about just today, it's like, I didn't know that. And uh, the Huron River, I mean, that's exciting. But um, I want to thank you for all you've done over the years and for all that I know that you will continue to do into the future. Thank you, Michelle, and the same to you. You are a rock star in your own right, and I take my hat off to you as well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It was truly a pleasure.
Well, and you tell Lisa I'm going to have to talk to her because, you know, you dropped a few ja- – I've been watching some things, but you've dropped a few things on her that I'm going to have to come back, circle back, and talk to Lisa about, too. You do <laughs> that, sister. You do that. She would love it. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Michelle. Okay, well, you Again. enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Yes, ma'am, you too. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, all right, bye-bye. I want to thank today's guest, the mayor of Ypsilanti, Michigan, Beth Bashert. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.